Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. We're busy with a series brought on by the fact that we are sort of renovating the hall, you know, after, after the foyer burned down. You know, we, we really felt God was saying, reminding us that just like this building is under construction, we as individuals and us corporately as God's building, as God's temple are under construction. And um, as you can see, you know, we've made a lot of progress. Uh, things are painted and the, the plastic starting to, to come off the, the windows and stuff. And, and, and week by week, it's like God is giving us a, a visual aid to see how, how, how things progress as we, are, uh, as, we, as we are under construction, as our building is under construction. But in the same way, spiritually speaking, that's how we look. Now, I don't want us to lose sight, and that's why I w- I've been sharing on Nehemiah 1, and, and um, next week I'll be sharing on Nehemiah 2, but I, I, I felt I need to take a break from Nehemiah just for a week, just to remind us that we are under construction for a specific purpose. And that specific purpose is that God is constructing us as a dwelling place for Himself. We are not just being constructed so that we will look nice. We are not just being constructed so that we'll feel better. We are being constructed so that God can live in us. And in fact, the Holy Spirit, if you are born again, if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, you've surrendered yourself to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is already living inside of you. You have a divine resident on the inside. Now, I've lived in a house while it's being renovated. And anyone who's lived in a house and renovated a house while they're living in it will tell you it's not so much fun. It's quite inconvenient. (laughs) There's all kinds of building material all over the place. It can get very dusty and messy. Um, You you cannot sort of settle in and get all your stuff in, in all its right places because everything's not ready yet. It's inconvenient. I want you to get this. I want you to really get this. The Holy Spirit is not only the, div- the divine resident living inside of us, but He loves us so much that He's willing to put up with the inconvenience of living in us while we're under construction. While you're a building site, while you're a bit of a danger to yourself and others, the Holy Spirit is willing to live inside of you. While there's still mess and dust and, you know... All the brickwork's not yet done. All the painting's certainly not yet done. The Holy Spirit is, metaphorically speaking, the Holy Spirit is willing to live inside of you. That's how much He loves you. The Holy Spirit is willing to to bear the inconvenience of living in an incomplete temple, an incomplete house. Doesn't that encourage you? Because I'm sure that if you're like me, you're not perfect. You're still incomplete. You're still under construction. And if you look at yourself, it's so easy to think, am I good enough? (laughs) Will God really want to live inside of me? And the answer is, yes, He does. He does want to live inside of us. So let's read from John chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 16 to 26. And it says, Jesus speaking, He says, And I'll ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you, advocate to help you, to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love uh, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Very powerful uh, passage, and I just want to discuss it basically under three headings. Um, The Holy Spirit, this, this passage reveals to us that the Holy Spirit is Jesus present, the Holy Spirit is Jesus continued, and the Holy Spirit is Jesus unlimited. Okay. Some of you are like frowning at me. What? <laughs> okay. Firstly, I mean, if you look at this passage, in fact, this whole chapter, this whole section, you know, the couple of chapters around chapter 14, uh, before and after, you'll see it's addressing a specific problem. And that specific problem is Jesus' physical absence. Jesus says in the beginning of the chapter, that well-known portion, he says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And the, and the disciples, you know, all they heard is, I'm going away. Everything else after that, I, I'm sure, was like blah, blah, blah. It took, what, he said, what? what? Hang on, Jesus, you're going away? <laughs> we could barely make it, you know, we could barely cope with you here with us. Now you're going away? And it's a problem to them. And well, it should be. You see, Christianity is fundamentally different from every other religion on the face of the earth because no other religion requires the presence of its founder to work. Christianity is the only one that requires, needs the presence of its founder to work. You can take Muhammad out of Islam, as long as the teachings of the Quran is there, Islam will still work, even if Muhammad... He's taken away, even if he doesn't exist. And he was taken away, he died. And Islam still goes on. You don't need Buddha for Buddhism to work. As long as you have the teachings, you can follow them and so on. But even if you have the, I mean, even, even Judaism, as long as you have the, the Old Testament, you don't need Moses to make Judaism work. You don't need him. You don't need the presence of Moses. But Christianity, even if you have all the teachings of Christianity and you don't have the, found, the presence of the founder of Christianity, it doesn't work. It's not Christianity. It doesn't work. Why? Because unlike every other religion in the world, Christianity is not a primarily a religion. It's a relationship. It's a relationship with a person, and you need the person with you to have relationship with them. And therefore, when Jesus says, I'm going away, you know, in the beginning of the chapter and again in, 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 in verse 28, chapter 14, verse 28, I'm going away. The disciples are like, oh, no, don't do this. I mean, how, how's this going to work? And Jesus says, don't worry. 
I'm going away because I need to, and because ultimately, as you're going to see, it's, it's going to be good for you. But I'm not going to leave you orphans. Because, I, th- I mean, that's why I said, don't worry, I won't leave you orphans. I won't abandon you. Orphans have a, um, a sense of being destitute, of being abandoned, of not having anyone bigger, stronger, more capable than them to take care of them. And if Jesus were not with us, that's, that's how we would have felt. And when Jesus said, I'm going away, that's probably how the disciples start to feel. Like, oh no, who's going to take care of us? Who's going to help us? But Jesus says, don't worry, I'm not leaving you as orphans, I will come to you. But, but hang on, Jesus, you just said you're going away, and now you're going to say you're going to come to us. What's going on here? Jesus said, I'm going away, and in a sense I'm going to stay away, but I'm also going to come to you. But I'm going to come to you in the form of the Holy Spirit. So, he says, because I live, you also will live. In other words, that just proves the point again that, the, that Christianity as a religion requires the presence of its founder. It requires the life of its founder. Muhammad died and Islam went on unabated. Buddha, the Buddha died and Buddhism goes on. Every other religious leader died and, and it went on. Jesus died. Big problem to the disciples. But then he rose again. He went up to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit to us. And here's the mystery of the Trinity. I just want to say a little bit about it because that's not really where I want to focus. But, but John says it so beautifully here. He's, he, on the one hand, Jesus says, I'm going away. But then he says, in the Spirit, I'm going to come to you. Now, he doesn't say, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the Spirit to you. He's going to come to you. He doesn't just say he's going to come to you. He says, I'm going to come to you. When he comes to you, it's me coming to you. So, so they, they too much one to be three. So in fact, he says, me and the Father are going to come and make a home with you. Jesus and the Spirit and the Father are too much one to be three. So he says, when he comes to you, I and the Father are coming to you. But they too much three to just be one. It's not just like they're, they're one person wearing three different hats. You know, I'm a, I'm a as any, I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a husband, and I'm a pastor. You know, those are three different hats. There. And some people think, okay, well, God is like that. You know, he's one God, but he just wears three different hats. No, he's literally three different persons. He doesn't say, I'm going away, and then I'm coming to you. He says, he's coming to you. So there's a three in one, and, and, and that, in a sense, makes this, um, this passage a bit confusing. But he says, because I live, you also will live. So he says the solution is I'm coming back, but I'm coming back in a different way. I'm coming back in the uh, Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, um, I'm going to come. And here's the thing. You know, so, so often people think of the Holy Spirit as an impersonal force. Uh, I mean, if you think about, you know, they, they think of the Holy Spirit like, you know, in the Star Wars movies, the, like the force. The force be with you, you know, that, that kind of thing. You know, as though the, the, the Holy Spirit is this impersonal force. Okay? But he's, he's not. You see, a, a, an a, inanimate object or impersonal uh, force doesn't have presence. A person has presence. Now, Jesus does something very interesting here in verse 26. The, the word, he, he refers to the Holy Spirit as him. Okay? Now, the word spirit, in, in Greek you have, the nouns have masculine, feminine, and neuter. So they have gender. And the, the word spirit is a neuter noun. In other words, it doesn't 
it's not masculine or feminine, it, it's, it's neuter, it doesn't have, have gender. Um, and then when you use other words like pronouns and so on to refer to a neuter noun, you, you, grammatically you're supposed to, they're supposed to agree, just, just like in English, you know? When you say um, the church and you say we, the church members we, you know, we must be plural um, to, to match, so, so there must be agreement. So when he, when he uses personal pronouns, it's supposed to be neuter, to be grammatically correct. And most of the time he uses neuter, it, 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 it often, he sometimes uses it. But in verse 26, he, he uses the word ekainos, this one, but he uses it in the masculine form. Him. Him. Which is grammatically wrong, but theologically right. Why? What is he trying to tell us in that? He's breaking the rules of grammar to show us that the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not just an it. He's not just an impersonal force. He's a person that you can have. Just like Jesus is a person, when he sends someone to stand in his place, he sends a person. He sends the person of the Holy Spirit. And having a relationship with the Holy Spirit is, is having a relationship with a person. And that's why often uh, I refer to the Holy Spirit as Jesus' spiritual presence in his physical absence. So, so the Holy Spirit is Jesus' presence. He's the solution to the problem of Jesus' physical absence. Okay? But not only that, he's not only Jesus' uh, present. The, the, this passage tells us two other things about the Holy Spirit, two, two things that it refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth and as the other advocate or counselor or comforter or helper. Okay? And I'm just going to break those down um, a little bit. Firstly, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Now, this is important because so often you get two extremes in the church. You get the one extreme of people who just almost exclusively talk about experience of the Holy Spirit, but not truth. Oh, we don't like doctrine. We like experience of the Holy Spirit, as though those two are mutually exclusive. And then you get other people who are so, exp- so afraid of the experience of the Holy Spirit that they only talk about doctrine and truth. And the solution to that problem, to that, those two wrong um, poles, uh, th- those two errors, is the, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because He is the Spirit of truth. He is the Holy Spirit whom we experience, but He's the Spirit of truth who brings truth. And Spirit and truth go together. Experience and truth go together in the Holy Spirit. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture. I'm not going to read it now, but you can write down Second uh, Peter. Uh, in fact, let me, let me read it. You, can, um, you don't have to look it up, but I'll read it. One, 2 Peter 1 verse 20 and 21, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired all of Scripture. When Scripture speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks. But but it's more than that. It's more than that. If it were only that, that wouldn't solve our problem. How do we hear from Jesus? And I, and I mean, that passage um, says it. It says, he will remind you of my words. He'll remind you of what I've said. Now, I've heard people say, and especially ladies say, you know, even years after my mom's death, her voice is still the voice I hear in my head. 
Okay, when, when, when I have to make a decision, I hear my mom's voice. Think now. Be, be responsible. <laughs> be wise. <laughs> or something like that. You know, but it's, it's her voice that I hear. Now, the Holy Spirit is the one that makes sure that Jesus' voice is the voice that you hear in your head and in your heart. Okay? In other words, let me, let me just read you this passage. Um, I've got it up there from, from John 5, verse 39 and, and 40. Listen very carefully to this, because the Pharisees in the day of Jesus, they, they were big on Scripture, but they weren't very big on Jesus, and they weren't very big on the Holy Spirit. And listen to what Jesus says, says, of them, says to them. He says in verse 39 of John 5, you study the Scriptures diligently. Not only do you study them, but you study them diligently. And then he says, because you think you will, that, that in them you will find eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, Jesus. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You refuse to come to me that you may have, have life. Now, here's the thing. You can, you can study scripture even diligently and miss the central point of scripture, which is Jesus himself. And unless you find Jesus in scripture, you will not find life in scripture. And the Holy Spirit is the one that shows you Jesus in scripture. He, re- he says, the Holy Spirit will, he will, I will show myself to how? I'll, me and the Father, Jesus says, we'll sh- we will show ourselves, we will reveal ourselves. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. You know, once I was flying, uh, I, I often fly to, uh, to, to Cape Town for, you know, for meetings and stuff like that. And it's amazing when in the evening, you know, after sundown, when it's dark and sun, you, fl- you fly in, and all of a sudden, Table Mountain looks a whole lot different. I don't know when they did it, but a c- couple of years ago, they put those spotlights up against the mountain. And then when it becomes dark, they, those floodlights go on and, and, and lights up the whole mountainside. And, and, you know, I was wondering, you know, how strong do those lights have to be to light up a whole mountain? But the thing is, when you look at it, you don't notice the lights. You only notice the mountain. And the Holy Spirit is like that. He lights up Jesus and the Father. He lights up Jesus and the Father. And even though he's so powerful, I mean, you need a strong light to light up a mountain. How strong a light do you need to light up God? (laughs) That's the Holy Spirit. He illuminates the Father and the Son so you can see them. He shows them to you. They were there all along, but because of the darkness of our own eyes, we couldn't see them. And the Holy Spirit illuminates them and he doesn't draw all the attention to himself but he focuses by lighting up the father and jesus he focuses the attention on them in other words he portrays a amazing selflessness that exists at the heart of god and think about this if someone so selfless so so other orientated comes to live inside of you comes to take up residence inside of you how is he going to change your life? Isn't he going to make you other-orientated and selfless as well, like he is? Surely he is. Surely he is. Um, so he's the, he's the spirit of truth, and, and he, he takes what is true of Jesus, the truth of Scripture and the truth of Jesus, and he applies it to our lives, to our hearts. He makes it real to us. He makes it real to us. I remember when, when I got born again and when I started experiencing the Holy Spirit, one of the first things that, that I experienced was an intense 
hunger for Scripture. I started, I wasn't, I didn't like reading much. I, I read quite slow. I still read quite slow. But I started loving to read about Jesus. And I started ro- lo- loving just reading in, in Scripture. And, and it came alive to me. All of a sudden, it wasn't dry. It wasn't boring. It wasn't, sometimes I had questions about it and I didn't understand everything and I had to work through it. I had to study it and I had to really think about it and grapple with it. Sometimes it took me months to figure things out. But eventually I could figure things out. Where before that, it was like fog and hazy. But when the Holy Spirit came, He started lighting it up. He started making it alive. And He started applying it to my life. Um, I can guarantee you, you know, if you saw me the way I was in, in high school, and you see me now, you wouldn't recognize me as the same person. I don't, I don't know if my, if my brother can testify to that. But I was, I was like really, I was very shy. I hated speaking in front of people. I, I couldn't even do small talk. It was bad. <laughs> Some of you say, well, you're still not that great at that. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> You know, I can do a bit of small talk at least, you know. <laughs> but that's what the Holy Spirit does. He applies Scripture to our life. He makes it alive. He makes it uh, real in our lives. So he's the Spirit of truth. But he's, and, and, and here I, I just want to make the connection with Jesus. Why do I say he's Jesus continued? Because just a few verses before John 14 verse 17, where he says, I'm going to send the Spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit as the Spirit of truth. Jesus says... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, when he says, right, just a few verses, just 11 verses later, he says, I'm sending the Spirit of truth. He's basically saying, and he says it in so many words later on, he'll reveal me. He's saying, I'm sending the Spirit who will reveal me as the truth to you. And that's why the Holy Spirit is Jesus continued. Because he reveals Jesus. And unless you hear his voice, unless you have him and, and, and hear his voice, you will not hear Jesus. But he's also, the, the, that passage refers to him as the alon parakleton. Um, that's a Greek word, two, two Greek words actually. Um, the word parakleton or parakletos, paraklete, some people translate it, is, is very difficult. If you go and read different translations, you'll see the King James says comforter. The, the old NIV used to say counselor. The, the, the new NIV says advocate who helps you. Uh, the ESV says helper. Okay, so, so, so you have all these different words, and, and when different translators and translations translate a word with different English words, then you know they're having a bit of trouble. There, there's, a, there's a Greek word or a Hebrew word that is too rich for one English word to translate it, and, and that's what you have here. Um, you have this really rich word, uh, parakleton. Para means alongside, and kaleo, kletos comes from, from the word kaleo, to call. So it's to call. It's one who is called alongside to help. One who is called alongside to help. And Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and he'll send you another one called alongside you to help. The word another means that there's already one and then there's going to be another. Who's the original paraclete? Jesus. And that tells us what the word paracletos means. It means all of the above. Helper, counselor, comforter, count, uh, uh, advocate, because Jesus is all of the, was all of those things to his disciples while he was on earth with them. Everything that Jesus is, the Spirit is, and then some, to us. Everything. 
You know, and so often we say, oh, you know, if I, if I only lived the, during the days when Jesus walked the earth. Jesus says, no, it's to advantage that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, I will not send the comforter. I will not send the paraclete, the other paraclete. Um, so, he's the, he, he's the helper. Now, I just want to try and get something across to you. When, it's, when, when the Bible says that he's our helper, he does help us. We do, because we do need help. That's true. We, do, we desperately need help. Now, it's, it's the same when, when, when God says in, in Genesis uh, to, to Adam, I'll make you a helper suitable to you. It's because us men need help, okay? <laughs> we, we need help. <laughs> and God made us a helper. Praise God, you know. <laughs> but spiritually speaking, the Holy Spirit is our helper. But helper, in our context has a, a bit of an inferior connotation. We think of someone who's a helper as someone who's inferior. But think about this. I mean, the universe is so big, you know. I, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures on the Internet. Go, you can go and Google it, where it compares our sun to all the different, you know, Proxima Centauri, all the different uh, other suns. And some of the su other suns, other stars, are like, millions of times bigger than our sun. Our sun is huge. It's million of, millions of times bigger than the earth. But it's a pipsqueak sun compared to some of that. I mean, Canis Majoris, which is, I think, Latin for the big dog. Like one of the biggest stars ever discovered. It is massive. It is humongous. It's millions of times bigger than our sun. And Canis Majoris is minute compared to the distances between the stars. So we're talking about massive, vast spaces. And it says of God that He's bigger than His creation. He overflows His creation. Psalm 139, where can I hide from your spirit? Where can I hide from your spirit? Where can I go to hide from The bottom of the sea, the farthest horizon of the universe He's everywhere. The universe is too small to contain Him. That is how huge this Holy Spirit is. And do you want Him as your personal assistant to help you accomplish your goals? Do you want someone that powerful in your life just to be your skeevy, your helper? So, so when, he, when He's talking about helper, He's talking about something different here. Yes, He helps us. But this helper is massive. And we should have a deep reverence for him. A deep, deep reverence for him. He doesn't come into our lives to help us accomplish our goals. He comes into our lives to help us accomplish Jesus' goals. I mean, even the word comforter, I mean, in, in, in old Elizabethan English of the King James Version, that made sense. Comforter in the sense of strengthener and helper and, and, and um, encourager. But I mean, when, when we hear the word comforter, we think of a duvet, right? <laughs> Makes the Holy Spirit sound like a duvet, you know? And, and when we hear the word counselor, which is not a, a wrong translation either, we, we hear like a marriage counselor or, 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 you know, something like that. You know, someone who as a, comes into your life as a consultant. The Holy Spirit is not our consultant. He's not a spiritual GPS that tells us how to get to where we want to go that you can call in from time to time to, to, to advise you and, and to, to give you, um, you know, to, to be like a, a consultant in your life. That is, is more than that. 
um, is, is all of that put together. But he's, he's not only Jesus present, he's not only Jesus continued, but he's Jesus unlimited in, in, in the sense that one of the, Jesus says, I'm going to send you another paraclete. And the word there, alon, parakletos, alon, is one of two Greek words for another. You get alos or alon and heteron. Heteron, like heterodox or heterosexual. Heteron means another of a different kind. Alon means another of the same kind. And when Jesus says, I'm going to send you an alon paracleton, he says, I'm going to send you another helper, counselor, comforter, advocate of the same kind as me, who's like me. Now, which implies Jesus is the paraclete, but he's never... It's only implicitly implied in John's gospel, but in, in the letter, 1 John, written by the same John, Jesus is explicitly referred to as the paraclete. In John, 1 John 2, verse 1 and 2, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We have an advocate. It's exactly that same word, parakleton. Exactly the same word. And with Jesus is the parakleton. Now, you, you need to get this. This is a, this is a bit deep, but I, I really think this is going to help you. And I really think this is going to bless you. Jesus is our paraclete, our advocate, our legal advocate, as it were, before the Father. In other words, he stands before the Father in, in, in a sense as our representative and as our defense attorney. And when the Father says... Lillian has sinned again. The same sin, you know. <laughs> Jesus, uh, and, and this is the punishment for it. Then Jesus says, he doesn't only say, and this is what some of us think. We think that Jesus says, oh God, I love Lillian. I know you love Lillian. Let's have mercy on her. Let's not give her the due punishment for her sin. That's not what he says. That's not what he says. Because the verse, verse 2 of 1 John 2 says, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Here's what Jesus says. He doesn't say, Lord, have, Father, have mercy on her. He says, Father, I demand justice for her. Because we think justice is against us and mercy is for us. Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm not even asking for mercy. I'm asking, you know, the cross and all that, God's forgiveness is mercy too, but it's more than that. It's justice. Jesus says, look at me. I am the lamb who was slain. For Lillian. It would be unjust for you, Father, to punish the same sin twice. You've already punished that sin in me. I demand justice. I demand acquittal for her. That's why, just a few verses before that, at the end of 1 John 1, in verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and merciful to forgive us our sins. No, 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 that's not what it says. It says, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why does it say faithful and just? Exactly for, because of what I... Because we have a paraclete, an advocate, a legal advocate before the Father who demands justice for us. And justice demands that God not punish the same sin twice. And in, Jesus says, you've already punished that sin in me. You cannot punish it in her. You cannot punish it in any. Because you've already punished it in me. You've already punished me for that sin. I've taken the penalty for that sin. I demand acquittal for him. Now, here's the thing. That is only true for people like Lillian who are in some way, some deep 
fundamental, profound way connected with Jesus. You see, I cannot just go into a court and represent anyone. But I can represent my wife because I'm in covenant with her. She can represent me because she carries my name. And that's why it says, Jesus says, whom the Father will send, the, the, the other paraclete, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. So all those who covenantally carry the name of Jesus, who have spiritually married him and taken his name so that he can represent them legally before the Father, Jesus says, those ones for whom I am a legal representative, with whom I am in covenant, who carry my name, for them I demand justice. And justice demands that their sins be forgiven because I've already taken the punishment for it. I've already taken the punishment for it. In other words, some of you sit here worrying, you know, I'm still struggling with you know, certain sins and, and I've been struggling with them for a while. When is Jesus going to get tired of me? When is he going to get tired of, when's God the Father going to get tired of forgiving me? That scripture and that understanding of Jesus as the paraclete says he will never because justice demands that he forgive you. But that's not all. The Holy Spirit is the one. Even if that were true about Jesus, in other words, even if we had a paraclete in heaven, but we didn't have someone to apply it on earth, it wouldn't have helped us that much. I um, heard a story once of a man who's... Um, I can't remember the detail of the story, but, but his son got lost in, in, a, it was in, a, in a, some other battle that his son got lost, and, and he lost his son. Um, no, no, sorry, I'm, I'm wrong. It, wasn't, it was in a flood. Him and his son got taken away in a flood. I remember it was some other turmoil thing. Take, taken in, in the flood, and, and, he, and, and he, he couldn't hold on to his son. His son got washed away. And he survived the flood, and for years he lived with this guilt of, I killed my son. I wasn't strong enough. I didn't hold on to him. I didn't take care of him. I wasn't a good father. Little knowing that his son actually survived. And he met his son later and there was a, a beautiful reconciliation. But so often we like that father. We feel guilty about things that Jesus has already paid for. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.